Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Hoping we find each and every one of you in good form. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls as we speak at 1850-333-103. Anything you want to share with us throughout the day, we would love to hear from you. You can also text or WhatsApp 86 103 We had been talking uh, certainly yesterday and across parts of last week about people coming into this country and are they self-isolating? And of course, the report came out that not everybody uh, was self-isolating isolating or were refusing to sign information leaflets that they were asked to sign at Dublin Airport. Well, it seems now that Gardaí are going to be given the power to check up on passengers who arrive into this country from anywhere overseas. This is new restrictions that are now being considered by the government. The Gardaí may even be able to call to the addresses of the passengers to ensure that they are adhering to the self-isolation. And of course, when they arrive in this country, they're going to be told they must self-isolate for two weeks. It will be mandatory. Strict new regulations are being drafted to make it a legal requirement for anybody arriving to self-isolate. And they will have to give the authorities details of where they'll be staying when they arrive in either at the airport or at a port. Currently, anyone who's arrives in Ireland, they're asked to voluntarily self-isolate for two weeks. Now, the majority of people, I have to say, have been doing that and and do it. Certainly anyone that's come back to this country who's, who's repatriated back to this country. I've heard of so many people, you know, being collected at the airport, not even hugging their loved ones because the self-isolation literally begins from the minute they arrive into the country and then they head home and the minute they get home, they're, they're self-isolating. And when people are asked to self-isolate, they're asked to almost treat themselves and be treated by others as if they have the virus and they need to do that for 14 days just to ensure that they haven't brought the virus back with them from whatever country they have travelled from. Now as I mentioned we did last week here figures out of Dublin Airport that a third of those that were arriving were refusing to sign the passenger location forms and because it was a voluntary scheme there was nothing in place for the authorities at Dublin Airport to force these people to declare where they were going to be staying and where they would be for the next uh, two weeks. And of course, this has all become all the more important with what the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced when he was talking about how in England they are starting to lift restrictions over there. And then Boris Johnson, when he addressed the nation, uh, the the British nation on Sunday, revealed that there was going to be a mandatory 
two week quarantine for passengers coming into the United Kingdom but there were the exemption given was passengers arriving from Ireland and passengers arriving from France. Now seemingly the government by all accounts were caught off guard and were surprised by it. They weren't expecting Boris Johnson to announce that. And of course, as we mentioned yesterday, the government was straight out saying, we're not reciprocating that. We're not saying to people who are travelling from England, just because we can travel over to England and you're not asking us to self-quarantine. Sorry, hon, the same thing is not going to happen here. If you travel from the United uh, Kingdom, if you travel over from uh, England, Scotland or Wales, you will be asked to quarantine for two weeks and self-isolate for two weeks. Now, the Boris Johnson is saying we can travel over if you if you want to travel over to England. You won't be asked to self-isolate. But can I tell you, when you come back into this country because you've been overseas, you will be asked uh, to uh, self-isolate. There's been serious concerns in government at the speed also at which Boris Johnson is easing restrictions. I mean, you would really, really worry about the United Kingdom and in England in particular, when you look at the numbers of people who are dying, there's 31,000 people have died from the virus that figure actually could even be higher because the way they count the deaths and they count the number of cases uh, in England is is different to the way it's done certainly in this country and the way it's done in other parts of the world so the figure could even be higher and I know there's even a sense if you've been following social media in, in England or even following the mainstream media in England there is a sense of anxiety and really people are very anxious about the way restrictions have been lifted and I think as well Boris Johnson in the message that he gave to people he's almost seemed to cause more confusion than before he started to speak I mean the one thing we'll have to say about this country whether we agree with the lockdown or not uh, we have a road map for the lifting of our lockdown and it is really really clear Uh, and actually if you go on to gov.ie because we constantly almost on a daily basis are getting questions in about when is this restriction going to be lifted when is that restriction going to to be lifted and if you want to you have a bit of time in your hands go on to gov.ie and actually it's very much in layman's terms and it's very clearly laid out and what I like about the way they've laid it out on gov.ie they've done it by the different phases I mean I have a bundle of in front of me of there's about three or four probably three pages for each of the phase for each of the phases and it goes through phase one and under the different headings you know the stay at home the meeting up of smaller groups what's going to happen with funerals what's going to happen with health and uh, social care people going back to work and they go through it like that on every single phase and like they give detailed uh, advice to cocooners and what's going to happen at the different phase four uh, cocooners. Yeah, for example, in phase two, which comes in on the 8th of June, uh, for people who are cocooning, shops will provide dedicated hours for those who, who are uh, cocooning. Obviously, people will be asked to adhere to strict social distancing and gloves will be made available and shoppers should be ideally asked uh, to wear uh, face masks. And also from the 8th of June, cocooners will be allowed to have a small number of visitors into their home. The visitors must wear gloves, face mask and keep at least two metres away from the person but at least cocooners know that from the 8th of June that's what's going to happen and, and if you go through all of the different phases right up to the 10th of August it's very clearly laid out and the same can't be said for the way Boris Johnson made the announcement of the lifting of restrictions and I saw yesterday he was saying to people what they need to use is uh, good old British common sense and that got me thinking I mean what I would deem common sense could be very different to what you would deem common sense I think you've got to be very clear for something like this in getting the message across to people. And I think it's unfair 
if you don't lay it out very clearly so that there's no ambiguity and everybody knows, well, this is what we need to do and we'll be doing this for the next number of weeks and then if the numbers continue to fall, we will then move to the next phase. And I think that's the way, in fairness to the government, the way they have laid it out here. It is very, very clear. And if you want more details of how we're doing it in this country, go to gov.ie. And nearly a half of people in this country now believe the worst of the coronavirus crisis is behind us. This has emerged from research carried out by the public health uh, experts and by all accounts we are doing well and things are lining up that what's been planned for phase one, the lifting of restrictions on May the 18th, it does look like everything is going to go ahead according to plan. Tony Houlihan was speaking yesterday. He said, I'm hopeful. He's, he's, I'm hopeful in terms of the track of the disease. It's giving us encouragement. He said, my expectations is we might be in a position to make a recommendation on the easing of restrictions later this week. Now, he was commenting on that Department of Health survey showing that 43% of people think that the country is over the worst of the coronavirus. Now, he gave a very, very um, stern, I thought, caution when he spoke about this yesterday at the press briefing because he said work is still to be done. He said the virus is still circulating. The risk is still out there and it's out there in all of our communities. He said the health service will continue to prepare and to respond to the virus. The public are asked to stay the course and keep up the progress we've already made. Now, the loosening of restrictions will come with a new set of guidelines, including advice on the wearing of face covering in public places like shops, if you're in public transport or you're out and about on the street. However, face covering will not be mandatory is what's expected and it will be a matter for individuals. He was, when he was giving his press briefing yesterday, of course the figures that came out yesterday 15 people sadly have lost their lives in the last 24 hours Uh, that brings us to 1,467 people who have died in this country the number of new cases was 139 and that is lower than it has been of late so that certainly is moving in the right direction we now have 23,135 people confirmed so uh, far And also the number in ICU is continuing to fall. Again, all of that really, really good uh, news. The average time for the waiting on a test result is now five days. They are hoping that that will get reduced to four days. The system is also going to be automated. Why it hadn't been automated from the start, I don't know, which will allow for people who tested negative to be notified by text I think that's welcomed and something I think that should have been there from the, from the start. Tony Holohan said the turnaround time for testing and for the results should improve and it would not hamper the decision to start the easing of the uh, lockdown. And as I say, he also mentioned the intensive care numbers. They've fallen to 71, which obviously that number we've been looking at. I mean, that at one stage went up to 160 in ICU and the ones in ICU are the ones that are the very sickest and some can remain in ICU for many, many weeks. 
and we know that the high proportion of people who end up in ICU are at a higher chance of losing their life and the outbreak of the coronavirus in long term residential centres that also continues to be brought under control so there's a lot of good news contained in all of that which you know is looking like we are heading towards the easing of restrictions as per the roadmap plan which will start next Monday and then we will have three weeks almost to hold our breath and see how are we getting on and if we can continue those figures and that downward trend and the flattening of the curve that we've been talking about we certainly are on track to continue with the phases and maybe even able to speed up some of those phases uh, a little bit. So in what Tony Hoolan was talking about there we're going to discuss in more detail on the programme today because our what's almost now our resident GP Dr Nick Flynn is going to be joining me in a couple of minutes. I'm going to in particular ask Dr Nick about the wearing of face masks because it is something I would say probably on a daily basis we have questions in from listeners wondering are we going to get to the stage where it is going to be mandatory to wear face masks I mean certainly it's not looking like you know from what's coming out from the likes of Dr Tony Houlihan and what's coming out from the Department of Health it doesn't look like they're going to make face covering mandatory I think what they'll possibly end up doing is suggesting that it, you know, that it is it's a good idea to wear face masks, but they're not going to make it mandatory. Uh, and again, I go back to, is it because they're afraid there will be a rush on PPE gear? Even though anything I've been reading about face masks, the homemade face masks, they do not need to be of surgical quality for people walking out about on the streets. The homemade ones are the ones you can buy, the cloth ones you can buy that are washable. Uh, they will do fine because remember when you wear a face mask out in public, you're not protecting yourself. You are protecting other people. But I already saw a text in from one of our listeners. They didn't put a name, I don't think, on there. this text. Uh, they don't. But they're making the point that given that COVID-19 is a respiratory illness, primarily it would be common sense to have started out by protecting our airwaves, that there would be more control of exhaled diseased droplets to go anywhere other than onto our masks. This didn't happen because sense is scarce and not common, according to this texture. People are more worried about how they look with the mask than the obvious additional protection that these coverings would provide. But give it a few months and Nike... Wait and see. They'll have designer masks out. They'll cost a fortune, but they'll be all the rage and they'll be selling like hotcakes. It will be the new cool. Such is man's stupidity. Wise up people. Stopping the, stop the stupidity. Hand hygiene is good and has to be commended, but it will be better to start with the protection of the respiratory uh, organs. Uh, But can I just say, when you are you're not protest, protecting your own respiratory organs by wearing the mask. What you're doing is you're protecting other people from any disease that you may be carrying or any of the virus you may be carrying that you're not aware of. So it does look like there is going to be a change on masks. But as I say, as of now, it doesn't look like it's still going to be mandatory. And that's what we'll, we're going to talk around and we'll ask one of the questions we'll put to Dr Nick. Does he think it should be mandatory? Would people prefer if it was mandatory? I mean, you know, I mentioned a couple of minutes ago that the one thing the government are doing well is giving very clear guidelines on our roadmap to recovery and our roadmap out of lockdown. And that's the one criticism of the British Prime Minister. It isn't very clear. There's a lot of ambiguity in the message that he's been giving out, given out. And I'm wondering, is there a little bit of ambiguity now around the wearing of face covering and face masks? And would 
would people prefer that the government and the Department of Health and the likes of Dr Tony Houlihan and the likes of Nefesh who have been giving us all the advice would you like if that advice was clearer would you prefer if they came out and said yes if you're out in public either on the street going for your walk or your exercise whenever you're in a shop whenever you're in public transport you must wear a face mask would people prefer that it would be that clear or are you happy enough with what's expected to be the advice? It'll be suggested you wear masks, but it's not mandatory. I'd welcome your thoughts on that because I read an interesting piece in The Examiner today and it's a, a, a piece by, or it's a piece written after an interview with a disease control expert by the name of Jerry Killeen. And he's saying that Gardaí and other workers who deal with the public should be forced to wear face masks in certain situations. And he said, I wince every time I see a well-meaning Garda without a mask at a checkpoint speaking in sequence to a queue of dozens, hundreds or even thousands of motorists in the day. Professor Killeen said, even with the minimum distancing of two metres, the cumulative risk of exposure for the poor Garda is higher than any of us would like. It's that well-intentioned essential worker does if that well-intentioned essential worker does become infected, he or she may then be go, go on to become what is known as a super spreader because this high rate of even distance contact with others. Uh, he's the recently appointed AXA Research Chairman at UCC and he believes the wearing of face masks should be mandatory in certain situations. He said widespread use should be encouraged. He said it's ideal to always assume one might be quietly carrying and shredding the virus, shedding the virus and behave accordingly. He said the golden rule of infectious disease dynamics is that a small minority of people, venues or events account for most transmissions. He said, I would like to see masks made absolutely mandatory for anybody working in any essential service. He said, especially anybody handling food, stacking shelves in our shops, moving goods are working in any venue which is visited by members of the public. He said given that the virus can also persist on cardboard for up to a day we don't usually handle or open our mail until the day after delivery. He said I would be reassured to know that mask wearing was compulsory at on post which it isn't at the moment and he went on to talk about Chinese studies have shown transmission occurred between people who had nothing more in common than the shopping centre that they had visited. While the HSC does not recommend the use of non-medical face masks, the Department of Health is uh, considering um, them at the moment. But I think with their consideration, they're going to come out saying that it doesn't need to be medical masks we're wearing. It can be the homemade, the cloth ones. And many people are making fantastic face masks themselves. We've had some sent in to us here. They've been uh, really, really fantastic. Anybody handy with the needle and thread. And I know yesterday when I was talking about one of our listeners, Yvonne, who sent me in, who knitted, who sent me in a knitted mask and then she'd put in a little piece of like gauze, not was not gauze, a little piece of um, material on the inside which can be taken out and washed. It was very, very cleverly done. A little piece of cotton on the on the inside which would go up against your mouth mouth because people mightn't like the idea of something knitted being up against their face, but was very, very clever. And then John Paul and Sadie tells me that when I started talking about that yesterday when I was thanking Yvonne for sending on the mask the knitted mask the number of people who rang looking for the pattern for it. I don't have a pattern for it and Yvonne didn't send me on a pattern for it. But if you Google 
if you go online the making of face masks there's so many different sites will give you a pattern if you want to make one yourself if you're good with a needle and thread or a sewing machine but imagine if you Google knitting a sewing knitting a face mask you'll come up with them no problem uh, at all there's certainly a lot of information out there about it and I know Marie in West Cork says hi Patricia hope this message finds you well could you please give a huge thank you to Eileen O'Sullivan from Mallow who made beautiful masks for my mum and myself her hard work is much appreciated and that's from Marie in West Cork only too glad to give that a a mention well done that is Eileen O'Sullivan in uh, West Cork well done uh, to you and thanks for Marie Eileen in East Cork is certainly missing her little Jack Russell unfortunately her little Jack Russell passed away last week and she is now looking for a new one to fill the void of her much loved pet now obviously she wants to go to an animal shelter she wants to try and get a rescued uh, animal if at all possible her preference would be for a male Jack Russell around three or four one that ideally would be house trained and uh, she um we did contact shelters or Eileen has contacted shelters but no luck so far they don't have a little Jack Russell for rehoming so she's asked us to put it out to see if we know of anyone who is trying to rehome a, a three or four year old Jack Russell or if there's any shelter listening that has a Jack Russell that would be willing to give to uh, what sounds like a really, really good home and uh, it's going to replace a much-loved pet and there's nothing worse than the loss of a much-loved dog, Uh, Eileen. My heart goes out to you. So, let's see if we can help you out. So, if anybody knows of a Jack Russell in need of a good home, we have Eileen in East Cork. We have all of her contact details. And the annual Roberts Cove Vintage Festival has been officially now cancelled in light of the current uh, circumstances surrounding coronavirus. This is the festival that normally goes on over the August bank holiday weekend. It's a great festival and of course it raises a lot of money for a local community group. So many people and so many charities are losing out because these events have to be cancelled. Now however the Roberts Cove Vintage Festival team have promised that they'll be back in 2021. It'll be even be bigger and better. There'll be a huge effort made for the festival next year and they'll be looking forward to seeing anyone, everyone on the August Bank Holiday weekend of 2021. As of now, their annual tractor run, which they hold over Christmas, that is going ahead. And please God, a lot of those events that are held over Christmas will all be able to uh, go ahead. But of course, only time will tell. Let's take a break and we are back chatting with uh, Dr Nick Flynn. Court Today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. For C103 photos, videos and more, follow us on Instagram and get a good look at what's going on across Cork. Search Instagram for at C103 Cork. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now it's been reported by the HSC that surgeons will now be able to carry out some non-emergency operations that were suspended because of the pandemic. Dump data on this and other COVID-19 related issues. I'm joined by Dr Nick Flynn of mycorkgp.ie. Good morning to you Nick. Good morning. And and you are welcome. Now, before COVID-19, Nick, we had a crisis in the health system with very long waiting lists. How much longer are those waiting lists now? Uh, They're significantly longer, Patricia. And uh, from talking to my colleagues who are based in the hospitals, um, I think that unfortunately 
uh, we're going to see waiting lists increase in the short term um, and we're going to see new ways of working and it looks like the, the capacity of the hospitals is going to be decreased for quite some time. So we heard Paul Reid at the weekend saying that while uh, the hospitals will revert to, to non-COVID care, that they're still retaining 20% their capacity uh, in the hospital system uh, to, to allow for a surge should it happen. And that's but a sensible move? I beg your pardon? That's a sensible move, you, you would oh, yes. say. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 100%. But the other thing that we're going to see is that the turnaround time with patients having procedures in hospital is going to be much decreased. So the, the landscape is going to change. Thankfully, we're not going to have trolleys in a and anymore. That will just be not t- tolerated, be unsafe. Uh, but the system for getting patients in and out of, of operating theatres, where maybe there was a, a waiting area, there was a recovery area, and there might have been some crossover of staff and maybe patients passing in corridors, I think that we will we'll, we'll find that those systems will be changed and it will mean that the capacity or the output of the operating theatres will be decreased. And it's what, cancer patients and patients with Again, car- cardio board, issues? Yeah, all, all, all operations. I think that where a theatre may have been able to do say 10 operations today in the past, we now might be looking at six. Wow. I, I think that, 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 that the, the workflows are just going to be slower. And we're going to see that across all sectors of society, from you know, my from general practice through manufacturing, through you know, retail and and restaurants. Okay, but uh, at least there's there's a start. This is right, this yeah, is start, yeah. starting. So that that has to be welcomed. Now you mentioned uh, Paul Reid saying that the hospital capacity must be be kept at eighty percent. Paul Reid also uh, said yesterday that our coronavirus testing system is among the best in Europe. I, I see a piece, uh, an interview with you in the paper. You would disagree that our testing system is among the best in Europe. Well, I think it depends on, on what parameters you're using to measure it. We certainly have been testing lots of uh, people and our per capita testing uh, compares well with other countries. But a testing system to be efficient needs, or to be effective, needs a couple of things. It needs capacity. So we're building towards 100,000 tests per week. So we're building towards capacity. But it needs to be efficient and it needs to be fast also. So we need to have tests turnaround in 24 hours we need to have, like, from the referral to the sampling to the lab testing to the result being relayed to the patient and to the GP and the contact that tracing. All those five steps needs to happen within three days, really. And if it goes beyond that, we're really going to miss out on the opportunity to isolate the virus and to stop it spreading. The contact tracing seems to be a bit of an issue. They they really don't seem to be on top of that. Yeah, that that would seem to be the case. Look, if you look at what's happened over the last six or eight weeks, we've had lockdown, which is basically mass isolation, and we tend to think of that that the people are isolated and we're isolated from each, from each other, which of course we are. But really, what that has been doing is been isolating the virus. It's been a method of stopping the virus spreading from one person to another. So what we need to happen now, because we can't stay in lockdown, we can't stay in mass isolation for, for, for any longer, 
you know, it's bad for the economy, it's going to be bad for our physical and mental health as time goes on. So what we need now is we, we, we need an efficient and nuanced uh, testing system that works quickly, but also then that is followed on in real time by contact tracing. And that contact tracing means that we need to be able to identify who has been in con- contact with an unknown case. We need to isolate that person, but we also need to test them. So the contacts need to be tested as well. And that and that then will be will allow us to do a, a very bespoke isolation of the virus. Because what we've done with lockdown in the last six or eight weeks has been a, a, a very broad brush, isolate everybody. We don't know where the virus is. So the only way of stopping the spreading is to stop everybody meeting. But if we can get this test, trace, isolate system up and running, get it done quickly, we can then identify where the virus is and we can isolate the people who are at risk and, and leave everybody else to go about the business. Are you fearful about the lifting of restrictions from next Monday? Um, well, when you look at the I suppose the, the activity around last weekend uh, throughout the country, uh, the city and the county in Cork was very visible. That the people, I think people are dense, they're and and they really have decided that they're going to loosen their own restrictions, unfortunately. So I think that we, we, we will see, uh, come next week, we will, we will see that famous reproductive number, uh, which is the, the number of people that an infected person infects which is now less than one, about 0.5, uh, we will see that rise again. And so if we were to think back to before lockdown, when all we had was we had a ban on mask gathering, we had social distancing, we had cough etiquette, and we had hand washing. So that's, they, were, they were the tools we had before lockdown. And even with those, we had a reproductive number of 2.5. It had decreased with those that measures from four and a half a few weeks before that. Mm. But it was still running at 2.5 before lockdown. Uh, now, after six weeks, seven weeks of lockdown, we're down to 0.5. But I think you can be sure that that number is going to increase again. Yeah, and, and I think you're right. When there is definitely has been evidence of people just, as you say, maybe just getting sick and tired of the restrictions. And I mean, even to hear uh, Tony Houlihan with that uh, survey, the Department of Health survey, you know, 43% of the country thinking the worst is behind us. I mean, that's worrying. That is very worrying. And I, and I think if you, if you reflect on the fact that best guesstimates are that maybe 10 or 15% of the country may have been infected by this coronavirus. And that we're not really sure how much immunity those 10 or 15 percent will have, but it's likely they have some protection. But the other 85 percent still have no protection to this virus. So that, like, this can st- still spread exponentially. It's still a very contagious virus. And so it very easily, if people lose their enthusiasm for the social distancing, the hand washing, the cough etiquette, and currently the lockdown, we could, we could see exponential spread again. And you can see that in Paul, in, in Paul Reed's narrative that they're, they're keeping 20% capacity in the hospital mm-hmm. system, three for a potential surge. You heard Tony Hoolan last night, night saying that you know, he was basically disappointed that 43% of people think the worst ahead of us are behind us. Because it certainly is uh, a potential for the worst to be ahead. 
And, I, and we also have to look carefully to outside of Ireland, to other countries who are lifting their lockdown and trying to get back to normal. I mean, worrying reports coming out of South Korea and uh, China with fresh surges of coronavirus cases. There's nothing to say we're, going to, we're, we're not going to follow suit. No, I, I think we can expect to follow suit, Patricia. Uh, I think we can expect that, that these are our, our best couple of weeks because we've had this like very drastic mass isolation of, of, of all of society, with all businesses basically closed, that's not going to be able to continue. It's just not. It's not going to be possible. And as people start to mix again, this virus will will spread and, and, and it will spread again. So that's why it's important that for the last week's lockdown, that everybody sticks to the rules, avoids unnecessary journeys, stay at home, you stick to the exercise exercise rules. And then as the phases are introduced, that we still stick to the rules for those phases. Because if we don't, we will see the virus spreading, we will see hospital admissions increase, we'll see ICU occupancy increase, and we'll also see, unfortunately, mortality increase. Um, and, I, and I think this, this is the one statistic that, that we might start to watch. So up until now, those three items have been the really statistics that we've been hanging on for every day, how many new cases, how many deaths, how many people are in ICU. But the new statistic I think people should watch is the mode of transmission. And they break that down into three. They break it into community transmission, to contact of a known case, and to travel-related. And community transmission is really interesting because it basically means that the person who was infected, there is no idea of how they got infected. So it's an unknown infection. Tony Hooligan called it last night a wild infection. Mm. So so if the test trace and isolate system works correctly, a testing and our contact tracing, we should see that community transmission percentage decrease and the percentage of contact with a known case increase. And I think that would be a metric that the test trace isolate system is up fit for purpose. A uh, question for Dr. Nick James in Cantork. If a person tested positive for COVID-19 uh, three weeks ago and is OK now and symptoms have, have improved and they were tested again today, would they show a positive or a negative result? It's a good question and they should show negative, but it's still possible that they might show positive. They might show positive for two reasons. One, they may have the, the test that we have at the moment is a PCR test. So it, 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 kind of, it, it takes the genetic material from the virus, and even though your 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 infection is resolved, you may still have some dead virus on the nasal pharynx, so you could you could get a false positive from a previous infection. But also, some people, the, the fourteen days is the normal course. For some people, it will be longer. Okay, and somebody else is asking about nursing homes. While testing is completed now in all nursing homes, will residents and staff of nursing homes have to be tested again in the future? Yes, yeah, that's without doubt, um, and that's the whole, uh, I suppose, rationale of the testing system of increasing the capacity and the efficiency and the speed of the system will be that if there's a staff member in a nursing home or if there's a resident in a nursing home who who is confirmed as a case, well, then all the contacts uh, will, will, will will be checked again, and I think that will be the all the residents and all the staff. I think that that's going to be part of the way we deal with this, this virus over the coming months. 
Yeah, and I know on one of the lifting, I just can't remember off the top of my head which phase it is, people will be allowed to visit loved ones in nursing homes and many people are desperate to do that because nursing homes have been in lockdown since the start of March. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there's a couple of facets to that. I think one, the same way as visiting nursing homes, visiting people in hospital, you know, going to the shops, going to work, that there needs to be a safe way of doing it. So that needs to be, we need to respect physical distancing where it's possible. We need to maintain hand hygiene, we need not touch our faces. You know, we need to be conscious of the fact that if we have symptoms, that we isolate and report it, report it and get tested. But also, it needs mass testing in the population. So we need to, like, there needs to come a stage where nearly everybody in the country has been tested. And, and, and the conversation we're having is, when was your last test? Yeah. So that's that's what we need to get to. And if somebody's had a non-detected test, they have no symptoms, they respect the rules around social distancing, hand washing. Well, then there should it should be possible to develop systems for for people can visit loved ones in nursing homes. Okay, and lots of questions in about the wearing of masks and will does Doctor Nick think it's going? They're going to make it mandatory. I mean, anything, anything I've been reading, I think it's going to be suggested people wear masks, but they don't seem to be pushing for the mandatory wearing of masks while out in public. What's your view on the wearing of face masks? Uh, well, my view on the wearing of face masks is that the intuitively, and I think it will pan out to be shown that the wearing of face masks limits the spread. So if you think about it, the source of this, main source of this, this virus is through uh, cough and nasal droplets. So if you if you cover the nose of a person, well then you're limiting the spread of that. So 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 face coverings certainly uh, can be helpful in the same way as hand washing and and physical distancing can be helpful. So face coverings can can be helpful in limiting the spread. I suppose the mantra for face coverings is that my mask protects you and your mask protects me. And it's important to remember that two days before an infected person becomes symptomatic, they're shedding the virus. So so we can't wait until somebody is symptomatic to ask them for a mask. We should consider all wearing a mask in in public places. Now, it doesn't have to be when you're outside walking because it's a very low risk. But I think they will give us guidance at some stage on situations where physical distance can't be maintained. So it might be public transport, it might be a workplace. Inside in a shop. It might be in a shop, exactly. And that mask wearing will be recommended for for those situations. It might not be compulsory, but it will be recommended. I I think one of the things that's happening is that the the, the, the Irish public are observing internationally what's happening. And you can see countries like Germany and South Korea and France and Japan and the CDC in the, in the States are adopting masks, and the Irish public have started to adopt masks. So I see people out in the shops wearing masks. Loads, lo- lots of people. Why, but why do you think the Department of Health are slow to make it mandatory? I think that, that, that there's two reasons, I think. I think, one, that they're, they'd like to see the science behind it, and I think that that's a bit uh, unfortunate because when they say there's a lack of scientific evidence that doesn't mean that there's a lack of, of scientific evidence of benefits. They just say there's a lack of scientific evidence. So, so we could have benefits, we could have harm. But intuitively, this would seem to be a beneficial um, measure. It's been adopted in other, other countries. 
and, and, and therefore I think they, they, they should consider it. But if you look, if you look at, I, I suppose their main concern, maybe that masks are not worn correctly. And then when you consider that people are wearing masks anyway, I think that they should issue some guidance mm. on how to safely use masks. So your nose shouldn't be sticking out, it shouldn't be on your forehead, it shouldn't be around your neck, it should be put around your, your face, the, the, the face covering should cover your nose and your mouth, tied from behind the ears or behind your head, and that's the only place you should touch the mask. And you leave uh, it in place until you're removing it. Really, exactly. The amount of people I see out and about, Nick, fiddling with theirs and pulling it up and down, it's crazy. But that, but I think that's why there's some, some, some official guidance needed on it. We introduced masks for all in our own practice. And for the first week, there was lots of face touching. But very quickly, people got into the routine that you're not supposed to touch your face. You put it on, you leave it on, and then when it's time to take it off, you take it off from behind. Okay. All right. We'll talk again, uh, Nick, in the meantime. Thank you for that. Always a pleasure to have you on on the programme and stay safe. Good morning to you. That is uh, Dr. Nick Flynn of mycorkgp.ie. Cork Today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. The impact of COVID-19 on our economy and employment has been sudden and will be enormous. The Irish government recently announced new and unprecedented measures to assist those who have already experienced job loss as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and to protect those who are still in employment. If you work in essential health, social care or other essential services and cannot work from home, you can work and travel to work. In all other situations, employees must work from home. In some cases, it will not be possible to work from home. Your employer can and continue to pay you under the temporary COVID-19 wage subsidy scheme while you are temporarily laid off from work or working fewer hours. Or you may be able to apply for a social welfare payment like the COVID-19 pandemic unemployment payment. For more information, request a callback from the Citizens Information Service. Stay safe and stay up to date with all COVID-19 information at c103.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I want to just refer to something that came in at the end of the programme yesterday when we were chatting with Annalise Drussell, our nutritional therapist. It was a question that came in from Jill, one of our listeners. But I want to revert back to it because I used it yesterday to get some advice from Annalise for Jill's partner. But Jill is also looking for advice from members of the public and how other people who suffer from Crohn's disease or irritable bowel syndrome, how they are managing at the moment because there isn't as many public toilets available with the lockdown. Most, you know, well, cafes are closed unless they're doing takeaway hotels. Public toilets uh, are locked. And Jill contacted us because her partner suffers from Crohn's disease. Now, he's still at work, but he has to travel 40 minutes a day to get to and from work. And normally before COVID-19 with the Crohn's disease if God forbid he needed to get to the toilet there was always places that he could stop along the way on his 40 minute commute to work but all of those options have now been taken away from him with you know all of the cafes and shops that would have toilets or public toilets all of them are uh, closed and 
Jill is wondering if anyone can offer advice if there's anybody in a similar situation and you know she was wondering was there some way that they could, he could get a special pass that it would allow him to get into public toilets given the circumstances but I mean if public bathrooms are all locked up I don't even know how a pass uh, would work for him so but we just want to broaden it out to see how other people are coping with that if you are suffering from Crohn's uh, disease or irritable bowel syndrome and you are still going to work but you need to commute to get to work and and how are you getting around and what are you doing as I say we brought it up yesterday with Annalise so that Annalise could offer some relief in the hope that she could to help this man with suffer who is suffering with the symptoms of uh, Crohn's disease but if anybody has words of advice for Jill's partner share them with us please and we can pass them on uh, to Jill and indeed to others because as soon as I heard of the predicament Jill's partner found him finds himself in Australia said he's not on his own there are many many others in the very same situation of course people are in lockdown it's okay because they're not leaving the comfort of their own home so they have a bathroom there for them the whole time but it's for people that have to get out and about people who are going to work and if there's a commute involved at all and you can imagine the panic as the man is heading out every morning for fear that he's going to be 10-15 minutes into this 40 minute commute and he needs to go to the bathroom and he knows he's got to keep going until he gets to work it's a dreadful dreadful situation that he finds himself in and, and have huge sympathies for people with uh, Crohn's or IBS so if you can help us with that please do 1850 can I return to the subject of wearing of masks that we spoke about earlier and I raised it with Dr Nick Flynn when he joined us on the programme as well some of you views on the wearing of masks and would you prefer if the Department of Health came out and categorically stated that yes, face coverings should be mandatory when out in public, particularly when you're going to be dealing with members of the public if you're in a shop or if you're on uh, public transport. Somebody says the problem with with most masks is if the person is wearing glasses, your glasses can fog up, which was something I hadn't thought about. And I suppose with some of the, if you had a tighter mask, it might not happen. Um, and I was, I'm a contact lens wearer now, but I was aware of mass, of glasses in my day. And I know when you used to be out in cold place and you'd go into some place that was hot, they would fog up and that's the problem with that. But I hadn't thought about that. People wearing masks, that their glasses fog up. Has anybody come come uh, come around that problem and come up with a solution uh, for it? And then on the issue of we wear masks and Dr. Nick, I mentioned this earlier and Dr. Nick made the same point. If we did get to the stage where we would be asked to wear masks, you wear the mask to protect other people. You don't wear the mask to protect yourself. That's the whole idea. You wear the mask in case you're carrying the virus that you won't spread or shed any droplets from your mouth. You'll contain it in your own mask and then you're protecting other people that you will meet. Somebody says, don't swallow that, Patricia. Why do nurses and doctors wear them? Do you think nurses and doctors are working with no protection to their airways? So I don't believe that. Uh, That is only put out as it's an attempt to save PPE for nurses, etc. Every person is precious. Well, it's not just in this country that that advice is given. The international advice is that you wear masks to protect other people. And it's one of the reasons that a lot of people from Asian countries and uh, China in particular way before COVID-19 when they would be out anywhere in public and they would wear masks they were always doing it of the belief that they were protecting others rather than uh, protecting uh, themselves Okay. also thank you for your text also on masks Hi there I thought that the HSE and the government provided masks and PPE for medical requirements so I can't understand if us 
i.e. the public, are purchasing masks from shops or online, how that would affect supply to hospitals, uh, etc. I think the theory behind it again is that all of those masks, the bulk of them are made in China and that if everybody is buying up masks, it's the source that where they come from is put under pressure. And if there's a factory making making masks, they're making masks not just for PPE gear for hospitals, they'll be making masks that will supply shops, that will supply online uh, shops. And if that facility comes under pressure, then they may not be able to make the enough PPE gear for the hospital. I think that's the, the theory behind it because the, the bulk of those masks are made they're made so cheaply. Uh, they're made in China. And I know yesterday somebody suggested why are we not making all of that equipment here? Why are we sending all of that money to China? We know because it was Paul Reid was talking about the, the it's gone into hundreds of millions of euro that we are now spending on PPE gear and will spend on PPE gear this year and possibly in, into next year. And somebody was saying, why are we sending all that money to China? Why can't we be making it here? Particularly the face masks uh, is the biggest one. I think it just is impossible for us to make them as cheaply as they produce them in the factories in China. That's the reason that the whole world looks to China to make these masks. They have the industry in place uh, to do it. I mean, some PPE gear is being made is being made here. I mean, I would be wrong to say that all of our PPE gear comes from China. It doesn't. The bulk of it does. But there's been some fantastic work going on in this country and factories who make other equipment suddenly start or make other items, other clothing items stepping down and instead they're, they're making scrubs, for example, for hospitals. So some of it is being made. But the actual face masks, the disposable face masks that you see every time there's a scene out of, out of a hospital. I'm open to correction, but I think 100% of those are coming from China and it's just because they can produce them far cheaper than any other country can uh, make them. Anyway, back to this text who says, I also feel that the figures over the weekend and on Monday, these are the figures that Dr Tony Houlihan calls out for the number of people who have sadly passed away, do not reflect the correct numbers as you can't register a death on Saturday and Sunday. Could you ask Nick, is this, Dr Nick, is this correct? Dr Nick isn't, isn't with us, but you are right about the figures. They give us, the figures that they give every day and they talk about the figures for the last 24 hours, they try to be as accurate as possible. The numbers are collated by the Health Protection Surveillance Centre and then they're supplied to the Chief Medical Officer uh, Dr Houlihan and, and Dr Houlihan then uh, reads them out on a, at the, the daily coronavirus uh, briefing. But you are right in saying they're, they're never 100% uh, accurate and I even remember back towards the end of April Dr Tony Houlihan was talking about that when he had to release a separate graph which showed I think it was an extra 77 uh, deaths and there were suspected uh, cases where no tests had been forthcoming and then there had been a backlog of other deaths that had been notified late because it can be a person, um, it can be up to three months after the passing for the authorities to be notified as, as a person's death. So not all the deaths are notified until the end of the period. So therefore you're never going to get a 100% accurate figure. And I know that the end of April, Tony Houlihan was calling for quicker registration of deaths in Ireland in order to gain a clearer picture of the impact of COVID-19, uh, particularly at that time he was worried about the country's nursing homes. So yeah, you're absolutely right in saying that the figure that's given out every day is not 100% percent accurate and I don't suppose it ever can be until we speed up the way and we look at the way we register debts in this country. Thank you for your WhatsApp to 086 103. Also coming in, COVID-19 is going to be around for a long time says this uh, texter. Would it not be worth it 
Oh, it's going to be in line for a long time. Isn't it worth it with all the restrictions just to get rid of it? Uh, so somebody suggested that we stick with all of the restrictions that are in place. And this, and this is from Mary who says, where is Hikwa in all of this? There doesn't seem to be a word from Hikwa. I heard Hikwa be mentioned certainly when we were discussing nursing homes and when there was outbreaks in, when we first started to hear about clusters in nursing homes. I certainly heard Hikwa, so I imagine they're still working within uh, nursing homes. Patricia, would it not be a good idea to invest in an infectious disease centre, including uh, perhaps a hospital with intensive care and on-the-spot laboratory facilities to cope with further outbreaks? We need to learn to live alongside this virus as it certainly is not going to disappear overnight. And perhaps a national centre which help to minimise disruption to the normal health system going forward. Yeah, it's certainly you are and you are right. We are going to have to live with uh, COVID-19, certainly until there is a worldwide vaccine in place. And that's some time away. So maybe that is the way to go to have an infectious disease centre where you ev- anyone then from anywhere in the country who would get COVID-19 would be, that's where they would be uh, treated. 1850-333-103. Somebody is suggesting to Eileen in East Cork, whose little Jack Russell has died and she's looking for another Jack Russell. Somebody says to ask her, ask that lady, she tried the Limerick Animal Welfare in Kilfinnan. I don't know if she has, it's just the information I got in that she tried. I'm assuming some local animal shelters was what was what she had I don't know if she has tried uh, or not we were just putting the shout out to see if somebody knew of in particular knew of a Jack Russell that might be available three or, three or four year olds that we could get to Ireland and, and match them up almost immediately Okay quick one for you Patricia my brother does a community employment scheme and it is eight miles from our home which is outside the five kilometre limit now there is a CE scheme which is about a mile away from him could he not do the one that was closer to to him, especially until things are more uh, relaxed. Well, I'm assuming what he would need to do in that case is speak to his supervisor and say, look, do you know there's a sea scheme closer to home? But he's not breaking any of the rules and regulations and restrictions that are in place. You are allowed to travel outside of the five kilometre if you're travelling for work and obviously his sea scheme uh, is his job. So he is allowed to travel outside of that five kilometres. But if he would feel more comfortable working in the scheme a little bit closer to him and it certainly would save him travelling, I would suggest that perhaps he has a word with his supervisor and see if he can get transferred. And thank you to the gentleman who's been staying in regular contact with us about his Imagine Broadband. And he first got in contact uh, with us, I'm trying to think, was it back at the start of May? I'm just listening. I'm, he's, it's on a WhatsApp so I can look back. Um, I think it was. Anyway, he had, he had a problem with his Imagine Broadband and they said they cut him down to one megabyte and they said he'd broken the fair usage. And he was making the point that he's got, you know, sons at home. One is a college student, one is a, a, a teenager in, in school. Uh, you know, need, the college student needs to do exam research for, for projects and the other, the young lad is in school, he needs to do online school classes and obviously with one, one megabyte he's not able to do anything and he just thought it was very very unfair of uh, Imagine to suddenly in the middle of a pandemic come out and say well we're reducing you, basically cutting off his broadband almost. Um, 
and he just thought it was very very unfair and we called it out to see how others found themselves in the same situation but anyway he took on imagine and he was you know trying to get through to them and say look you're being unfair on this one and uh, in the end he ended up going to Comreg so he's back to us to say Patricia just to update you on the difficulties I've been having with Imagine Broadband I've just had um we finally got our service restored yesterday. The lady from Imagine said she had spoken to her manager and they felt they had been a little bit harsh on us. It was an automatic downgrade via their system. That's what had happened. She apologised for the delay in sorting this out. She did mention that we had made a complaint to Comreg. My advice to anyone is to email them to start with so that you have this is email the your supplier first so that you have a paper trail then contact Comrag to register a complaint and as he pointed out to us earlier that's a free service it doesn't cost you anything to do that he also suggests you contact your local TD to see if that will help I don't feel just ringing them gets you very far as all they do is state this is the con company guidelines this is what the contract states these are the rules and regulations so you don't get any further it certainly worked for me says uh, our listener in North Cork so that's terrific delighted to hear that you got sorted out and actually I read a piece on the paper was it yesterday or today from Comrade and they were just saying they've seen a huge increase in the number of people complaining to them and people going to them and that's why that service is there if you have an issue like that with any of your telephone uh, providers so good news and good to know that you're back up and running with your broadband long may it continue and well done to imagine for seeing that they were had been a little bit harsh on you and I wonder how they're dealing with others in a similar situation 1850 lines are open text or whatsapp 0862103103 C103 Jobs a skilled labourer is wanted for work in the North Cork area. You need to have a full driver's licence. And Cross Agricultural Engineering, they're looking for three candidates to enrol in their apprenticeship programme. It's based at their factory in Rathangan in County Kildare. And a part-time healthcare assistant with QQI Level 5 is wanted for work in Kilmallock. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie Now only yesterday I had yet another text from a listener saying please, please, please find some good news stories that will give us all a little bit of a lift, especially during this world pandemic that we find ourselves living in. So when this landed on my desk I said we had to go and ring Australia and let Nuala O'Brien who is originally from Formoy share her story on how miracles do happen. Uh, good morning or good evening as I should say to you down under in Australia. Good evening Nuala. Morning, how are you? I'm doing very well. Now for you to share your story we need to go back to April of 2018 and an appointment you had with an oncology fertility expert. Tell me about yeah, that day. So- so basically, um, in 2016, I got diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma and I relapsed in 2017 and had a stem cell transplant. So they said with the risk of the transplant and all the chemotherapy that there was a good chance I'd go into ovarian failure. So in the April then, me and my mom went up to Dublin to meet with the fertility specialist and they said that I had gone into ovarian failure and that I had already started the menopause so that I'd be unable to have children. Um so that was grand. That was up in Dublin and my mom obviously was very upset by it. I didn't really 
mind that much at the time because I was still getting over, like, just getting the all clear from cancer and everything. But my mum was very upset, so we were trying to console her and tell her, like, you know, don't worry, like, something might because happen you in were, the future. Because you were, you were only 25 to, to get that news at 25 and to get the news at 25 that you're going into menopause. Yeah, so I'd already started menopause. So they think I started menopause when I was 24 um, after the transplant. So that's when they think that started. So yeah, I got the news then when I was 25. I turned 25 on the 7th of April and then that appointment was 25th of April. And you coped quite well with all of that because I suppose you were thinking life is precious, having, you know, survived cancer. This wasn't the worst thing. Yeah, oh, definitely. Like, I wasn't really even thinking of babies, you know. Like, I was just thinking, like, start living my life again because obviously my life was put on hold for two years. And, like, I'd finished college because I got cancer in my final year of college and I, uh, my transplant was actually on the day of my graduation. So I just wanted to kind of get back into normal life and, you know, start being with my friends and everything. So a baby wasn't even on my radar. So <laughs> it didn't really bother me that much. Did you have a boyfriend at that stage? No, I didn't. No, I my I ended up having a boyfriend get meeting my boyfriend four months after this. Okay, so and that's Dale, who you're still with today. Yeah, yeah, he's from Limerick. So did did you discuss the fact that you were in menopause, and did you discuss that with Dale that if you were to stay together, and you sound like you're in a very committed relationship, did you discuss the fact that you would never be able to have a biological child together? Yeah, we did. I told him kind of from the get-go because I was a bit paranoid about it. Like, I was like, it'd be a bit unfair not to tell him. You know, so I kind of told him from the very beginning. And, like, he was very good about it. He was so understanding. He was like, we could always adopt or There was the option for egg donation. And then it would we could do that. So it would still be his child. So I'd basically just be the other. Um, but, like, we both said that we wanted to travel and that, like, that wouldn't be for another... 10 years time that we'd even be considering anything like that yeah you have a, you have a, you have a good man there who was very very under understanding uh, for sure so we now need yeah, to fast we now need to fast forward to June of last year and your decision to head to Australia talk to me around the, the about all the planning for that and what was the plan yeah so basically I always wanted to go to Australia me and my friends always planned on going like years ago and then I got cancer and I went to college and everything so everything was put on hold and then Dale and myself were saying that, like, we want to travel, so why not go? And I was all clear one year in February. And my job was finishing up in June, so we just decided to head over. And we moved over to Australia, and we were absolutely loving it. Like, you know, we love it over here. We planned on staying here a few years. We were going to try to get sponsored. with loads of friends here and everything. And, yeah, so we're just over here at the moment And now. where where in Australia are you? We're in Sydney. Sydney, OK. And have you done travelling? Have you yeah. travelled around? Yeah, so we started off in Adelaide and we did our farm work and everything. And then we travelled coast and we went up to Melbourne. Then we came up here. We went to Uluru. So like we have done a fair bit of travelling, but there's still so much more that we wanted to do. By the way, just on that um, farm work, because that was something that came up on the programme a, a few weeks ago when the farm workers had to come in to pick the strawberries for, for Keelings. What was that farm work like? Um, I was lucky enough because I was in Adelaide, so I was in a city. So I was actually in an egg factory. And then Dale was actually doing construction, so he was on building sites. And it was fine. We were in Adelaide, like we were in the city of Adelaide, so we didn't have it that bad, whereas there's some people that are out in the middle of nowhere just picking fruit. <laughs> so and we it, were very lucky. Like, we had a great experience with it. And it's tough work, isn't it, for the fruit pickers? 
Yeah, oh, it really is, and they get paid nothing. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, they get much pay, and they have long hours and everything, so it is kind of hard on them. So, like, we were very lucky with our situation, you know. We had a nice house and everything, so we were, we kind of landed on our feet, to be honest. And it's part of the visa requirements? Yeah, to get your second year visa, you need to do three months farm work. Okay, so you got all your farm work done with the eggs. You got <laughs> so li- life's yeah. going, life's going good in Australia. You're loving the Sydney lifestyle. You're making the friends. You've got the job. Everything's yeah. going well. Yeah. And then just last month in April, you started feeling uh, rather than say unwell, a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. So basically, I get um, checkups with my oncologist every three months in Ireland, and then when I moved to Australia, it was every six months. So I saw him in November and everything was great. So then I was due to see him on the 7th of May. But the le- I always kind of get a bit paranoid anyway, leading up to appointments. So I always get like nervous and frightened and I wouldn't be sleeping well and I'd be convincing myself I was sick. But um, in April, I just started like feeling really bloated and just sluggish. And um, I was finding it really hard to go to the bathroom. And my stomach kind of got a little bit swollen. So I had convinced myself then for like the whole month of April that I had got like a tumour in my intestine is what I convinced myself because I was Googling everything and like what was coming up was either pregnancy or cancer. So obviously with not being able to have kids, I just automatically presumed I had cancer again. And Dale was trying to tell me to like fast forward my appointment and I was too afraid to and everything. So I just kind of kept going. And uh, then we had my appointment last Wednesday. You go into the appointment, as you say, nervous. You had a bit of heartburn as well. Yeah, so like I had heartburn. I had, I was really nervous. I cried the whole way over in the car oh, on the way to the appointment. Oh, and like Dale then was just trying to like keep me happy. He was like, oh, just think of like where we're going to fly after COVID. Think of all the great things we're going to do. So just try to take my mind off it. And uh, we went in anyway to my oncologist and he was just like, how are you? How are you feeling? And I said straight out, I was like, oh, I think I like a tumour in my stomach or a tumour in my intestines. I was like, do I'm bloated? I gained weight nowhere else. Like, do you know, I'm still in all my normal clothes. Um, and I just said, I can't go bathroom. And I was like, I can kind of feel like my intestines spasming. I said, do you know, like with pressure and stuff. So he put me up on the table and started examining me. And when he got up to my stomach, he kind of gave me a funny look. And then I obviously panicked because I thought like he found, well, he did find something, but I thought he found something bad. So I asked him, was it bad? And he just looked at me and goes, well, is the baby bad? And then I just started laughing, really. And then Dale started laughing. We're like both, both nervous laughs and we just kept looking at each other laughing, trying to tell him that like, oh, sure, that's not possible. And he was like, I know it's not possible, but he was like, there's definitely a baby in there. And I obviously was trying to convince him again. And he was like, I understand that you have gone through menopause. I understand you are an ovarian failure. He's like, I don't know what to say to you. Like, he was like, but there's definitely a baby in there. And uh, he said that he thought I was about 20 weeks. So that I had to book a scan. So I had a scan the next day. And like, even going into the scan, I was like to the man who was doing the scan. I was like, is it definitely a baby? Because I just couldn't believe that it was. And he was like, yeah, it's a baby and it's 34 weeks. So you're due in six weeks. (laughs) Uh, so, did did you not rush out and buy a pregnancy kit? No, because I was in I was in pure denial. So, like, I kept saying, like, so that was the Wednesday night, and all the Wednesday night, I kept saying, like, no, it's not. Like, he's got it wrong. And then, even on the way to the scan, I was like, watch now, it's going to be a tumor. It's going to be oh, like, I just, help you. I just didn't. Yeah, I just was like, I was having none of it. Like, it was like it can't happen. And then it happened. <laughs> 
So you, are you, and I'm assuming, as you see with any of the scans, are you watching on a screen? Could, are you clearly seeing this is no, a baby with so arms? Dale was wa- so, yeah, so Dale was watching the screen. I wasn't. I wouldn't even look at it. I was like, I can't. And then they, like, you could hear the heartbeat and everything. And, like, I couldn't look. So Dale looked. And then they were like, do you want to know the sex? And, like, I was so overwhelmed. I was like, could you just write it down? <laughs> and then we left and everything. And I was just so overwhelmed. Like, if it wasn't for Dale, I would have been lost. Like, he was grand like so he was reassuring me and making sure everything was okay and all and when we got back to the car he was like it might feel more real for you if you know what sex is so then we um opened it and found out it was a little boy and yeah and then it kind of started feeling a little bit real and then it was like right let's just bring our family straight away get it over and done and then their reactions kind of started making me excited and stuff whereas i wasn't really excited at the very beginning you know i i didn't know what to feel at the beginning do i take it you rang mammy first so man wouldn't answer the phone. <laughs> she wouldn't answer the phone because it was early in the morning for them. So Dale's mom was actually the first one to know. And then I actually had told a few people like here before I could get through to my mom because it was early in the morning and my dad's a postman so I wanted to tell them both at the same time. Yeah. I had to wait till he was home from work. But like they didn't believe me at all. Like we'd put loads of my friends on the phone and everything to them and show them the scan. They thought the scan was fake. So it's not funny to joke about these things. Like, she didn't believe me at all. Like. But um, then they were old and novices. <laughs> and wh- what's mum and dad's name? Um, Evelyn and Michael. Evelyn and Michael. And they're in, are they in Fromoy? Yeah. Yeah, okay. They're in Glanworth. They're from Glanworth. Yeah, oh, Glamworth, sorry, Glamworth. Yeah. Uh, and what, what, because, because your poor mum was so upset, uh, I mean, and for you more than anything, I mean, as, as a mother, you'd be just be devastated for your much-loved daughter that she's never going to be experience what it's like to be a mother. So I could, I could so understand her upset on that day when they were told that you were infertile. She must be just over the moon for you now. Oh, she hasn't, like, I say her feet haven't touched the ground since, like, she told me that, like, so this was Friday, Thursday morning, and she rang us at, like, half twelve at night, year time, and said, I'm only having my breakfast now because I've been running around, you know, telling people and, like, ringing everyone, and my little sister then was recording when they'd FaceTime people and everyone's reactions, and they were able to send me everyone's reactions and everything, so it was lovely, like, so it was really nice, but yeah, my mom is just over the moon, like, you know, she's so, so happy, like. So what's your due date? The 24th of June. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, well, you don't have a bit, you know, you hear people complain about, God, is this pregnancy ever going to end? You certainly yeah. won't be allowed to say that. I know. I was like, it's only six weeks that I get a flight. I'd go into work and I only told them yesterday and they couldn't believe me. And my boss is actually due in July and she's like, I can't believe the size of you and the size of me. <laughs> so she was like, I can't believe you're having it before me. And like all the clients I work with, because I work with mental health, I'm in a residential care unit, and all of them are like, oh my God, we can't believe it. They're like, we thought you just ate too much uh, Uber Eats and stuff like that. <laughs> you know? So everyone's delighted. So you'll be going out on maternity leave soon? Yeah, so I should already be gone on maternity leave. <laughs> they said I should have been gone already with two weeks. But uh, I just said I'd stay. I've been grand this far, so I said I might as well keep going. So oh, and when you when you how it goes. when you look back, was there any morning sickness? Did you feel unwell at any morning? So there was no morning sickness, but like my there was just heartburn. You know, yeah, that was kind of the only thing. But I had convinced myself that was all like cancer and everything. Like, but I had no morning sickness. Like I was 
normal like and even there we were looking back through like my photos and stuff and Instagram and Facebook like and I was four months pregnant at Christmas and I was wearing like show bikini on the beach and stuff where like we had a party for my two years all clear in February we had a big boat party and I was just there in a swimsuit and all and I was like you, I didn't know at all you know none of us had a clue like it's not until literally April that I started getting this like little bloated belly so now you're, I mean, I'm assuming you've got to, you're looking at cots and prams and baby grows and nappies. Yeah, like a big change from what we thought. Like I, we had just moved into a house as well. So we moved into the house on the Tuesday and my appointment was the Wednesday and I still haven't unpacked even yet. <laughs> and then, so like we were, like it was just everything was just all at once. Like I got a new job, we got a new car, new house, like totally different plans. Like we thought, like we'd be getting ready to go travel more and now all of a sudden it's this. Oh, yeah, a... we're looking at brands and costs and everything now. But it's great, like we have such great friends over here, like there's a big group of us and like everyone's absolutely delighted. Like I already have loads of babies, those people are just bringing over Brilliant. stuff and all the Irish over here as well are very good. Like there's people I don't even know over here and they're like, I had a baby over here, do you want sterilizers? Do you want anything like that? And like complete strangers are helping me out, so it's great. And the long-term plan now for you, Nuala? Oh, so a well, long-term plan has totally changed. Our plan was to stay here as long as we could and travel a bit more of the world and stuff and then come back maybe when I was about 35. That was the plan. And now we're going to be coming home as soon as possible, really. So, like, I can't travel because obviously I'm too far gone and then the nurses are saying the baby has to be at least six weeks. Yeah. And then with COVID and everything. So, like, yeah. we're hoping to come home September-ish. But we were saying, like, if it wasn't for COVID, I'd say my mother would be on the first flight over. Uh, that was the first thing I thought of. I said, oh, God, um, uh, yeah, M- Mammy O'Brien can't even get on a plane. Yeah, that's what we were afraid of most of how she, like, we knew she obviously would be over and we knew she wouldn't be mad, but I was more afraid of telling her and telling her that, like, she wouldn't be there. So that kind I, know. Of way. I was more afraid to tell her that. I know. Listen, with she was fine about it. Like, but, but with FaceTime and Skype and all of that, she'll be able to keep in contact. Yeah. And, and, and or even, like, my little sister... I've sent photos and like my old bedroom's full of baby boy clothes now. Brilliant. Already like. Just brilliant, all. brilliant. So they're all family, like so it's great. Like, And then we decided that we're going to name him after my oncologist in Ireland. So which which is? We're name him after. And so his name's Seamus O'Reilly so we're going to call the baby Shay. Ah Shay, that's after a gorgeous name. Gorgeous name. Yeah, Just so we rang him and everything. That was going to be my next question. What was his reaction? Oh, he was, see, I would have been very close to him, like, from being sick and everything, and, like, he was so good to me, obviously, sure, he saved me and everything, but, like, I had a great relationship with him, and, like, I'd still send him postcards and everything when I'm over here, so uh, he was delighted, I texted him and told him, and he rang me straight away and said how honoured he was and how he couldn't wait to meet him, and so he's absolutely delighted. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Somebody, yeah. somebody called Carmel, who I'm assuming you know, says, Nula, you are amazing. You always defeated the odds. <laughs> Oh, that's lovely. Will you do me a favour? Would you get your mum, Evelyn, to let us know when, when, when baby Shay is born so that we can let listeners know? Because I can see people saying, we let us know when the baby is born. So would you ask your mum or your sister just to send us a quick text? And we will check in with you again when Shay has arrived, if that's okay. No problem. <laughs> won't be long now. It won't be long now. Enjoy the rest of your pregnancy, the short little pregnancy that you have. It's terrific. Listen, it was a, a real pleasure to talk to you, uh, Nuala. Look after yourself and uh, give Dale a big hug. You've got a good man there. I know, I'm very lucky. You look after yourself, okay? 
I will. Thank you so much. God bless. Bye bye. Bye bye. And stay safe. That is uh, Nula O'Brien joining us from uh, uh, Sydney in Australia on uh, just to prove and that miracles do happen and to never, ever say never. It is a terrific uh, story. Uh, 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. C103 Anthems. Weekday mornings from 9 and evenings at 7. On C103. And from that wonderful good news story in Australia with Nula, we go to another really good news story because a rather handsome foal was born at the Donkey Sanctuary in Liscarroll during the COVID-19 lockdown and has been appropriately named Lockie. I'm joined from the Donkey Sanctuary by Alice, um, Ashleen O'Sullivan. Good, good morning to you, Ashleen. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me uh, on. Well, you, well, you're very welcome. Now, Lockie was, bo- Lockie was born on Easter Monday. Uh, but explain why you were unsure about the due date. Well, um, Lockie's mother, uh, she's, her name is Honeybee, she came into our care last year, Patricia, and she was in fall when she came into our care. So, therefore, we didn't know exactly when she would be due. But the guys on the farm had a fairly good idea as her time was coming near. And on the 7th of April, our head of veterinary services, Lawrence O'Sullivan, was giving Honeybee a check over and he noticed that she was about to start um, producing milk. So at that point, he knew that she'd probably have her baby within the next week or so. And did Honeybee give birth on her own? She did. She did. Um, on Easter Monday evening, our head of farm, Declan Sexton, was up at Hannigan's farm. He was keeping a close eye on Honeybee, just making sure she was nice and comfortable. And that evening, when he went in to uh, put her into her barn for the evening, he noticed there was a dark shape behind her. And when he had a closer look, he actually realised it was her foal. And um, the little foal was still wet, so he knew that, the foal, that she had given birth in the past hour or two. And thankfully, the foal was standing up. And Honeybee had done very well and both mum and foal were in good order. Ah, isn't that fantastic? I mean, the fact that Honeybee's rescue, was it her first, do you know, or had she had other foals? We don't know that, uh, Patricia, because of the fact that she came into our care last year in foal. Um, So we don't know previous to that if she had any foals or not. She's 13 years of age and she's in good health now. And she, I have to say, the guys tell me below, she is doing an excellent job as (laughs) mum. Excellent. She's very protective of Lockie, but it's lovely to see the interaction between the two of them. There's a little nuzzling going on, you know, and she follows him around. I got some footage this morning of Lockie absolutely tearing up and down the paddock and Honeybee is following him at a good distance, making sure he's OK and just really looking after him. Uh, isn't that terrific? So a, lot, a wonderful bond between mother and son. Oh, absolutely lovely. And, you know, it's just a pleasure to see it. It's an absolute joy to see it, especially during this time. You know, it's lovely to have good news to share. We're delighted to have good news to share. And what is more spring and early summer than a new foal being born? And the weather's terrific as well. 
to allow Look, the foal out. Absolutely, because for the first few days, um, Honeybee and Lockie would have been in their barn and coming out into a concrete area, you know, when he was just starting to explore. And um, Declan, once he was able to let uh, Honeybee and Lockie out of the paddock, he was delighted to do so because it's lovely exploration and sure the weather is fantastic. It's also meant that we've been able to take some really nice pictures as well and footage of Lockie and Honeybee and our grooms um, have been sending on different pictures and different bits of footage, which is absolutely fantastic because it's just lovely to see in the good weather. And then how how does Lockie then get integrated? How would the older donkeys react to this young little foal? Well, the, the donkeys that Lockie and Honeybee are put in with initially, it's very careful selection. They're in a small group at the moment um, in a shed at Hannigan's called Woodshed. And the donkeys there are very young. So a few oh. of them would have been foals that were born last year because it would be a gentle introduction to the herd. Okay. And they'd be, you know, nice and easy with him. Now, mum is obviously with him the whole time. And in adjoining paddocks, there are older donkeys. So everybody's a bit nosy and they're coming to the fence and they're having a look. And obviously, Lockie's very curious himself <laughs> and he's going around exploring the place. But he's safe and fine with mum and grand and safe with a group of younger donkeys. And obviously, the fact that you rescue so many donkeys, some of them in just atrocious condition. I mean, you wouldn't you don't have a breeding policy at the sanctuary, do you? Oh, we, we have a no breeding yeah. policy at the donkey sanctuary. But um, obviously, if, if a mare comes into us in fall, her foal is guaranteed the same sanctuary for life as its mother. So whether if that's at our sanctuary in Liz Carroll or whether the foal enters our rehoming scheme at a later stage and goes out to one of the guardian homes around the country. Well done. Well, well done. And as with the rest of the country, the donkey sanctuary is in lockdown and closed. How are you getting on with lockdown? Yeah, yeah. Look, isn't it a different situation for everyone in the country yeah. at the moment, Patricia? But like the team are doing, you know, fantastic job down there. Um, the farms team have been split um, into twos and threes and they're working every second day. We're adhering to all the guidelines issued by the government and also Donkey Sanctuary protocol around COVID-19, social distancing, you know, extra um, cleaning of hands, sanitisation, all of that is going on. Regular jobs are taking that bit longer than they used to for the likes of weighing donkeys and uh, cleaning out sheds. But the work continues and our veterinary team and our new arrivals team as well are on split rotas where there's smaller uh, groups of maybe one or two coming in at a time. But everyone is doing really well and the team are just doing a fantastic job. Our welfare team then are working from their homes. But obviously if anyone has any um, queries about donkeys, we're still here. Are you still rescuing? Well, at the moment, what the team are doing from the welfare point of view, if anyone can call in, anyone can send us messages, and it's all been logged, and we're all in, we're investigating as much as we can. Okay, well um, then well on a, on a case by case basis, that would go to the head of our welfare, and they'd examine it and talk with the local donkey welfare advisor, and decision would be made. Like we have to be very careful with staff as well, obviously Patricia, like with everyone else, yeah, yeah. and in visiting homes as well. You know, as I was saying to you, a lot of our donkeys are out in guardian homes around the country. Our donkey welfare advisors are keeping in contact with those guardians, making sure that they're there to support them in whatever way we can from a distance at the moment. So if that's a, at the moment, if somebody maybe saw a little spot on their donkey or something they weren't too happy with, if they sent that into the advisor and the advisor will discuss it here with welfare and with vets and, you know, see if there's anything needs to be done or how we can help or support the guardians at all. We are still here. 
We are still here to help with queries and concerns around that. You're, you're terrific. Very much so. Uh, funding, um, Ashleen, I imagine, I mean, you know, fundraising events for all charities have been cancelled for the foreseeable future. Is funding an issue? Oh, look, uh, Patricia, you know, our, our funding office has been decimated, you know, with, with this um, pandemic, unfortunately. Um, we were actually due to have our summer fair this Sunday in Liz Carroll, and that would be, you know, a big, a big earner for us. Unfortunately, can't go ahead and all events are cancelled for the moment. But we have lovely supporters. We have very kind supporters. And they've been very kind in visiting our website and, and making donations there. They can still be done online. And we are just very, very grateful for the kindness of people as well at this time. Because it's a hard time for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's just making the point. I miss going to the Donkey Sanctuary. It's one of the most gorgeous places and peaceful places to go and uh, visit. And another uh, listener says, could you ask Ashleen, do the donkeys miss the visitors? Yes, they do. <laughs> yeah, they do. Because um, we love when people can come and visit. And obviously the donkeys love it too. On the open farm, they're well used to people coming. And I'd say they're kind of wondering, why isn't there people at the fence every day at the moment? But, you know, our grooms are chatting away with them as well and interacting with them as much as they can. But I do think that they as well will be looking forward to the day when we can welcome our supporters back to the open farm. Um, and we really, really look forward to that day. And looking at the roadmap to recovery and the roadmap to easing restrictions, uh, any indication as to when you'll be able to welcome visitors back in? Not just yet, Patricia. The senior management team in this Carroll is drafting a plan at the moment and they're working very closely with our colleagues at the Donkey Sanctuary in the UK just to make sure that our roadmap, you know, that in conjunction with the Ireland roadmap from the government, yeah. that um, we do everything very carefully very safely. Um, everything has to be done to protect um, our staff and our visitors. You yeah. know, social distancing is going to be something that's with us for a long time. So right now, I can't say exactly when we will open. But if uh, your listeners or anyone out there would like to keep in contact with us through our social media on Facebook and Instagram, we're going to post there and on our website as well when we can open. So if they just Brilliant. interact with us that way, all of that information will Brilliant. be Brilliant. There. And that footage of, of Lockie uh, running around the fields, if you get that into, into us, into John Paul, we'd love to share it on our Facebook page for Fantastic. listeners to see. Fantastic. It'll be, it'll be great. That. Listen, stay, stay, stay safe. You do just the most amazing work with uh, the donkeys yeah, you really do you're a great bunch uh, and we love having you on the programme so thank you for that and thanks for joining us thank you for your kindness Patricia okay. and safe, to all, safe wishes to all your listeners thank and you. indeed back to you stay safe that is Ashley O'Sullivan joining us from the donkey sanctuary in Liscarroll on the birth of uh, Lockie born in the middle of the lockdown as I say when Ashley gets that footage into us we'll, we'll put it up on our platforms on uh, our social media platforms just to let other people it's one of the kind of those good news stories and make us all smile and that's what we need God knows 1850 we're going to take a break news at 12 midday on the way Court today on C103 with Mallow College now enrolling for courses in September plan your future education see the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie 
The Department of Rural and Community Development has launched a plan called Community Call to support the work of the people who are ensuring that the most vulnerable in our community are kept safe and well. Each local council has established a community response forum to coordinate COVID-19 related community supports. As part of this, each local authority has established a helpline that vulnerable people can phone if they are looking for basic services such as delivery of food or meals or transport for essential trips. If you want to volunteer, you can register with your local volunteer centre or sign up online at www.i-vol.ie. Some volunteer roles will be directly related to the COVID-19 outbreak, while others may be related to helping community organisations to keep normal services running. Stay safe and stay up to date with all COVID-19 information at c103.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Play a request for a special mam. That's Mary McCarthy from Five. John Anderson plays in for Moy, celebrating her 80th birthday today. And I'm told she's a dedicated listener to the programme. <laughs> you have great taste, Mary. Happy birthday to you. I hope you're having a wonderful, wonderful day. And all your family want to wish you the very best. And no doubt when all the lockdown is lifted, there'll be a huge birthday planned for Mary McCarthy of John Anderson's place in Formoy. And somebody else who is celebrating a birthday for yesterday was, I don't have a surname on this, except that it's Auntie Teresa from Dunmanway. And she turned 90 yesterday and there was a bit of a hoolie held in Fairfield Nursing Home in Drimaleague and her family were able to chat to her through the window and everybody enjoyed a bit of a sing song and all of her family in Kinrath near Dunmanway want to wish Teresa a very happy birthday for yesterday and they also want to use the opportunity to say a huge thank you to all of the staff at Fairfield Nursing Home in Drimaleague for constantly going above and beyond for all the people that they care for. I tell you, we've got some amazing nursing homes across the city and county who are doing incredible, incredible work at this time, looking after residents. And it's a difficult time when residents, you know, they don't get to get visit, visits from family and friends. It's, it, it's tough. So we think of all in nursing homes and particularly today on International Nurses Day. Uh, we recognise nurses everywhere, but especially those and all of the staff who are working in nursing homes. OK, some of your comments coming in on China and why we buy so much of our PPE gear is because because the items are cheaper in China. Uh, Bill says we should be buying sweet all from uh, China. I think there should be a curse word in the middle of that at the moment, especially now that they have a second cluster in Wuhan. Uh, And somebody else actually is on about buying the... When I said the reason that we buy so much PPE gear, it's because it is so cheap over there and we'd never be able to produce it that cheap cheap here. Uh, Jones says, Patricia, China is cheaper because in many cases they use child labour in factories. Yeah, we'll never, ever be able to uh, produce cheaply enough the, particularly those uh, face masks and Joan also says when I mentioned face masks earlier and somebody was saying if you wear glasses they fog up Joan says Patricia glasses do fog up when you've got a mask on I'll be wearing a mask when going to the shops or walking in public areas I think everyone should be doing the very same actually a number of people are on about masks Patricia surgical masks are worn to protect healthcare workers from contracting the virus in hospital settings but cloth masks do not reach the protection criteria homemade masks do prevent droplet infection 
but would only be successful if wearing them becomes compulsory. And I have to say, the amount of people that are suggesting that we should be going compulsory on the masks seems to be rising uh, almost every time I look up a, look at a text message or see a call coming in uh, it seems to be people saying that that's what they need to do and it's you know listening to Tony Houlihan and listening to Simon Harris it certainly is not the way they're going they're going to suggest the wearing of masks but they certainly do, it looks at the moment now whether that will change certainly at the moment it doesn't look like they're going to make it compulsory Eileen and Bandon said it's a no-brainer we should all be wearing masks when we're out in public anyone could have the virus, including ourselves, without even knowing it. I can't understand why we're not wearing them. The delay, surely, in not wearing them is only helping to spread the virus. It is the only way to go, is for all of us to start wearing uh, masks. OK, other issues in there is, oh, there's a water outage in Charleville due to essential maintenance. Customers have, will have no water tomorrow in Charleville, so fill up the kettles and get the bottles of water ready. It'll be in Charleville and the surrounding areas from 8 o'clock tomorrow morning until 4 in the afternoon. John in the city was on to say, uh, and actually there's a, there's a couple of texts in about this uh, as well, but I think John sums it up better. Uh, John says, I witnessed a traveller funeral yesterday. It was this one in Cork City. I think it's making the papers as well. John reckons there was over 200 people standing side by side yesterday. No social distancing going on. Now he says there was four members of Angara the Shia who were directing traffic. He saw English registered cars, Dublin registered cars. He said various parts of the country people obviously had travelled if you were looking just on car regis. So many people had travelled for this traveller funeral in uh, Cork and John senses that there seems to be one rule for members of the travelling community and not for the rest. Everybody else is told to abide by only having 10 people at a funeral but how come the members of the travelling community were able to have an unmerciful amount at theirs. Now we did get we have been getting reports in of, of people attending funerals and that they go to the graveyard but it's all social distancing and I mentioned it that I witnessed one myself only last Friday and you could clearly see people were standing, they were just there to show their respect and condolence to, to the family but we're going nowhere near the family and we're all standing apart but this particular funeral that John is talking about there was people hugging seemingly and shaking hands and social distancing wasn't uh, going on uh, but the, and Garthy were directing traffic but I don't know if, if they went and said to them you need to be uh, social distancing I don't know OK on the uh, thank you for that and then John and Yall on the wearing of uh, masks says he's been in Dublin he goes to Dublin a lot and he's noticed way before COVID-19 that people from China are always wearing masks. Yeah, I was making that point. They've been doing that for, for many, many uh, years. Uh, how we need to stop the spread of COVID-19. Frank says, I'm a frontline worker and I'd swap my job with anyone at the moment. It's horrible seeing people die with nobody by, them si- by their side. People need to cop on and realise how serious just how serious uh, COVID-19 is. And then we've had some reaction in to Jill looking for help with her partner who's got Crohn's disease and needs to travel 40 minutes to get to work every day and his job he's obviously he's, uh, he's still going out to work every day but he's having a problem now in that normally when he would do that four minute the uh, 40 minute drive to work there'd be places along the way if his Crohn's kicked in we'd be able to stop and find a toilet at short notice but obviously that's not happening at the moment and 
and we're wondering there's got to be other people in the same situation how are people getting around it uh, somebody says on Crohn's try taking one or two motilium after his breakfast it saved my life it has saved my life when leaving the house I've been doing it for uh, years Sinead said I've got IBS tell that gentleman to get a sanitary pad and put it on before he leaves for uh, work. I know for a man he might find that something very difficult to use but believe me it does work and if just to stop him have an, ac- an accident in the car between leaving home and actually getting to work and then do the same thing in reverse on the way home. And then we had Peter who was on to explain the problem he's having in with having the need to get to a toilet very quickly. Uh, Peter is diabetic and he had prostate cancer and about 10 years ago he needed to get radiotherapy for the cancer in order to do for radiotherapy the machine anyone's had radiotherapy will know that the machine needs to hit the exact spot where the cancer is but it misses sometimes unfortunately that's uh, what happened to Peter it missed the area and instead it hit his anus and the side effect is he now has no control over his bowel movements uh, he's you know, he's trying his best and over the last 10 years he's doing he tries to control it with medication but he said you know literally within seconds when he get, he needs to go to the bathroom he needs to go to the bathroom so he said you can imagine how much that is restricting his life and in particular restricting travel he does wear pads but he said you can also have seepage which can be unbelievably embarrassing he's tried everything Imodium, Modillium nothing seems to work for him he has to plan his trips uh, almost you know, minute by minute precision so that he'll always know that he's got a toilet nearby so that can have a huge huge effect on his uh, life and obviously now with lack of availability of public toilets or cafes or restaurants or hotels that you can pop into. I imagine it's completely limiting uh, Peter's life. Thank you, Peter, though, uh, for sharing it, sharing that story with us. So he has the utmost sympathy for Jill's partner and anyone else who finds themselves in a similar uh, situation. And there's still lots of texts coming in about we need to be wearing masks, etc., etc. Lots of people are saying masks are the way to go. Christine in Cork says, Hi, I would wear masks if the government told me to do so. However, when we go to cafes or restaurants, etc., when they finally start to open up, won't you have to lift the mask to eat or drink? And this is not going to be the issue. They say with the masks, don't be touching your face. And also somebody texted in earlier about the guards and saying that the guards should all be wearing masks. Well, if you have to talk to somebody and you're on duty, surely wearing a mask wouldn't be a good idea unless you just had one that would cover your nose. It surely it would be the same for anybody eating out. Well, most of the masks, you can speak through them, Christina. I don't think it would be an issue if you were talking to somebody. Definitely going to a restaurant, yes, for eating, it would ha- you, you would have to be uh, removed. And John in Blackpool wants to know if any of our listeners got the hardship fund. Remember the hardship fund that it was Age Action and the Red Cross. Now I know they were hugely oversubscribed but John is just wondering has anybody has any money paid out on that? I'm assuming John applied under that hardship fund. If anyone has got the money could you let us know please John is interested 1850 now normal people and the programme that is on tonight we're having uh, this doesn't surprise me we're getting some calls in on this including from Greta in Canturk who's agreeing with the bishop who's come out publicly and has called on RTE not to show tonight's episode of normal people Greta in Canturk says surely they could be showing something else I feel that this programme should 
should be banned from television. I, I take it everybody knows what I'm talking about when I'm talking about this programme, Normal People. There's two episodes to be shown uh, tonight. I think the, the episodes already been I think BBC are ahead of us. I know of lots of people who've binged watch it, downloaded the whole series and have watched the whole lot of it. And it's one of those programmes that everybody seems to be talking about. Either the people are talking about it because it's so brilliant or people are talking about it because they're giving out about the sex scenes that are contained in it. And I warn you in advance, if you are of a sensitive nature and you don't like to watch sex scenes or you don't want to be in a room maybe with teenage sons or daughters that you might feel uncomfortable, they might feel uncomfortable, even though, you know, if they're your children, you should be able to sit and discuss. It might bring up issues that you can discuss with them. But anyway, just to warn you that tonight's there's two episodes. They run back to back on a Tuesday night. Tonight's episode will contain the longest ever sex scene and full frontal male nudity to ever be shown on an RTE programme. There has been a number of complaints since this programme first started to air into RTE. Uh, so there is a bishop coming out talking about it, a bishop, Michael uh, Cox. He actually has gone further. He's called on RTE, demanding RTE not to air the episode of Normal People Tonight. He describes it as being morally wrong. He said it will be an outrage if RTE go ahead and transmit it. Showing a grown man fully naked on TV TV, it would offend any right-minded human being, said Bishop Cox. He said young teenagers will be watching this, even married couples in their homes. It's outrageous and it should be stopped, said the Bishop. Now, there has already been complaints into RTE because when the programme first aired, the in the very first episode there was a couple of raunchy scenes so there has already been complaints into RTE about that but they are expecting a and I quote from an insider in RTE a tsunami of complaints after tonight uh, because as I say it's got the longest ever sex scene shown on a programme on in the 60 years of RTE's uh, history so I, I, I mention it to you if you're sensitive, don't watch it. If you think, you know, because I always say to people about programmes like this, if, you, if you're offended by it, then switch over. We have so many cha- ch- channels to watch. Now, gone are the days when we only had RT1 and, and, and then Network 2 came on and people had only two channels. You have so many channels now. Turn over if you are of a sensitive nature. Uh, and I know Liveline covered it um, last month when the first episode went out, when the first sex scenes uh, went out and people were, were saying that there was it was teenagers fornicating. They're meant to be leaving cert students if you haven't seen the programme and they're doing their leaving cert and it's a boy-girl, you know, relationship and all of that. And um, People were saying it was filthy, it wasn't right, children having sex because... I think they're, I don't know if we ever, if they mentioned their age or not, but the fact that they're leaving certain people are assuming they're 17, but of course a lot of leaving certain students are 18 uh, as well. But anyway, I don't know if the age of them actually gets mentioned uh, or not, but it's an adaptation of Sally Rooney's book, uh, which is um, meant to be a fantastic book. Uh, the book actually is meant to be better. I have the book on order. I want to actually read the book because the book is actually meant to be better than the series uh, itself. I'm not easily offended so I can't say I got offended by any of the scenes. I thought it was beautifully filmed. I, I thought the cinematography on some of the scenes were, were, was, was, was done really well and it's meant to be set and filmed in Sligo and you know 
it shows Ireland in a really good good light and there's great you know scenes coming out from Trinity College because they've now moved on and they've left school and they're, they're now in Trinity uh, College the one thing I would say about the sex scenes that I thought was really good when you look at the teenagers it was it was consent it was, there was clearly consent from both the young girl and from the young boy in, in the scene and I thought that that was important to get that uh, across I mean they deal with the variety, so many different issues I mean the, the bullying and it is bullying and the way because she's different Marianne the main character because she was different in school and how tough her school days were you know I think for that it's a great conversation to get young people talking about everybody has somebody in their class who they think is a bit weird uh, and the way that the effect that that has on young people so I think you know, there's, there's a lot of and I don't know if you if you are a parent of teenagers or, or, children, or young people of that age leaving certain students have you been watching this is it uncomfortable viewing or are you able to sit and watch it then is it opening up lines of conversation I think any of these programmes that they could just to keep lines of communication going and get people talking I always think that's why I never knock programmes like this I think if it gets people talking how fantastic but just to warn you it is on tonight it's full frontal nudity it is going to be I don't know what the length of it is but it's quite a lengthy sex scene and you have been warned. 1850-333-103. Sadie and John Paul are taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. And just to give a shout out to some people that are helping out and helping their communities and doing their bit during this COVID-19 uh, crisis. Canturk Voluntary Group, the Mercy Hope Support Group, they're delivering essential food, food, medical and fuel supplies to your home if you need help in the Canturk area, 029 51161. While if you're in the Domanway area, Meals on Wheels are continuing to deliver meals to the older members of the community. They're also delivering in Ballinine, Enniskeen, Drina, Drimmer League areas. If you'd like to avail on Meals on Wheels, I need your shopping done and delivered. Call 023 8868110. And Claire O'Donovan is c- continuing fundraising for frontline staff at Clonakilty Hospital through a GoFundMe page. You can donate by clicking on the direct link in the Cork Diary section of our webpage, which is www.c103.ie. Cork Today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. COVID-19 continues to impact on our day-to-day lives. We want to remind you of some practical ways to protect yourself. Wash your hands properly and often. Cover your mouth and nose when you cough or sneeze. And dispose of used tissues. Disinfect frequently touched objects. Avoid any contact with people from outside of your household. Don't touch your eyes, nose or mouth if your hands are not clean. And please follow all advice issued by the HSC and the government. This message is supported by Irwin's Pharmacy, Shandon Street, Mayfield and Toker. Always looking after your family. For coronavirus updates and information, stay listening to C103. The phone lines and a problem with a, looks like a costly phone bill. Uh, Dave Scully is in Clonakilty. He's with Scully's Butchers in Clon. Good afternoon to you, Dave. Good afternoon. How are you keeping? I'm, well? I'm keeping very well. You have a landline with air. That's right, yeah. And tell us the problem you've come up with. Against. Well, the problem is, I was just looking at my bill there about two months ago. 
and I just copped the 180 euro was the price, you know. And our average bid would only be 70, between 70 and 90 euro. So I said, a bit of a problem here. Tried ringing to get some uh, advice on it, and so we could get no uh, no contact with anybody, you know. So I said, the best thing to do now was be cancel the direct debit, and maybe somebody might ring us, sir. Because once the money's gone... It's gone. It's gone. You've been mm-hmm. out of a job trying to get it back. So uh, we cancelled it, and when I cancelled it up in the bank, I came down to my shop, and as I came into the shop, two lads walked in from air, two sales representatives, you know. And uh, I said, told them my problem. And I said, my God, the Lord must have sent you in today because I've just cancelled my direct debit. Mm. And this is the problem. Blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, that sounds there's something wrong there. So I said, could you just go off, get me account number and give me a check back on it? And he said, yeah, grand job, okay. Away they went anyway, gave me that card and uh, heard nothing from them. And they made a few calls, left a few messages on their phone and no answer, nothing back at all. And we tried ringing the helpline and all them different piece, bits and pieces and nothing at all, you know. So the next bill came in, 180 again. So it's up to 600 euros now for three months. And it's only a landline. There's no computers on it. It's only used for the visa machine. So And, and for calls that are going out are very small. Yeah, like there's nobody in the shop ringing out of Mongolia or uh, someone in Australia. No. no. The only foreign place I ring is Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And I, can, I can tell by the accent you're ringing the family back in Dublin. Exactly. See but, the mother is, that type but of stuff. Do, you, do you get a breakdown? You know the way, do you get an itemised bill or do they do that anymore? You get a, you get a breakdown, but trying to figure it out, saying it's very hard, you know. I know, I know. So, so what we've done then, I got my daughter to send in a couple of emails and stuff, you know. Yeah. And I said, put, just put in for a refund. And we get some contact with somebody, somebody might bring us back or something, you know. So we got an email back saying, um, your refund, no no refund, but nothing to say this is the reason why your bill is so high. Yeah. Because that's what we put in in the email, you know. And ah. then we went on last night, there's a couple of other uh, numbers we got, trying to get through to somebody and nothing. It's all the COVID-19. You have to wait and just no contact with nobody. Yeah, and it's trying to get to speak to a human being is exactly. nearly impossible. For a company that deals with communication, being a telephone company, it's, well, it's, it. it's, it's, it's mind-numbing. And I know John Paul is working on, we'll get an email off to them to see if we can get uh, anything out of them. And actually, we had another caller who, who, in fairness, sorted out his own issues by going through Comreg. So we may be putting you on to Comreg, might be an idea for you to go that way as well. But it just seems very bizarre how a phone bill can suddenly jump from yeah. around 60 euros to 180 with no reason. Like, I, I work here in the shop now. Like, we, we'd sell certain items there, say, six, seven quid. Like, in a week's time, if a customer came into me and I said, oh, that's 12 now. Yeah. And they say, okay, there you go. Yeah, they're going, they're you not, know, they're going to question straight away. Yeah, yeah. And they say, like, customers care and there's nothing there. And only a couple of weeks ago, I had a, had a woman in the shop and she had the same problem, you know. She was in and she was talking to herself and she was all fumbling and I was saying, what's wrong with you? Oh, don't talk to me. She says, my phone bill with air. says, I'm trying to get through to them and it's gone through the roof. And I said, I'm having the same trouble myself, you know. I said, let me know how we get on. But now she had to pay the bill because it was something that had to do with the kids and 
but it was trying to get the contact to get to speak to someone to yeah, get it sorted out. You it's know, to find out. It's yeah. to find out, and if and if they can prove, yeah, I genuinely use yeah, the phone. Yeah, okay, fine, but enough. it's, but it's we, when we you don't know. Didn't change yeah. anything. Yeah, and are you? I have you that phone long? Where is it? Yeah. Uh, we would have it, I'd say, yeah. yeah a few years. Now, it's probably a contract thing out, and then as soon as it's out, after 12 o'clock at night, up goes the, the rate, maybe, this type of thing. But, but it still shouldn't be that, shouldn't be jumping that high. Not at all, not at all. No, not on a landline. Yeah. So yeah. We tried and tried and tried. and Actually, last night, I was walking late last night, and I heard your repeat programme, and I said, there's me lady, you know. And you said, if anybody had any problems, give yourself a ring. And I said, that's my woman now. Tomorrow morning, I'm ringing her. Well, we'll hopefully be able to, to help you out. Tell us, how is, how is the butchery business going during well, COVID-19? God, no, it's, it's quite okay, in fairness. Yeah. We've got a lot of good, loyal customers. And as I'm on the line, I'd like to thank every one of them for their support. Yeah. They've been brilliant now, in fairness, through this, this crisis. And we're doing what we can for them as well. They've got deliveries now. And that type of thing, yeah. You just go through it day by day, and you would know. you have a number of customers cocooning who can't get out to you? We wouldn't, either. yeah. We yeah. have from from Ross Carberry, Artfield, Tim League, lawyer, and like that. Now they'd ring us in the mornings, give their order, and we'd deliver them after work. Well done, well, well done, well so done. It's all about looking after the people who look after you and social distancing and all of that. You yeah. To, yeah, two it's... in the shop at a time. Yeah, and people are good about it, aren't they, Dave? Fantastic, absolutely. Yeah. With, like even people queuing outside, you know, they're all queuing at the distance, and like the, anybody around here, there's never a problem. Everybody's in good spirits, and that's the way to do it, really. You know, you get the odd few messers, I suppose, the, the different generations, maybe, you know, yeah. having parties and different bits and pieces. But, but overall, overall, people are good. Overall, yeah. absolutely, people are, are yeah. fantastic. How long are you out of Dublin, Dave? Me, 28 years. <laughs> 28 years in Clannock Guilty. You haven't picked up any Cork accent? No, I say the beating I get off my mother would be a lot worse than I tell you. <laughs> so I, I'd better hang on to it. <laughs> you haven't been to see Mammy though in a while, have you in Dublin? No, she tried, with, the, with the way it is now, just, uh, you, can, you have to stay poor. Yeah, it's tough. That's the hardest part of it, I think, is not being able to see, see family. But yeah, that's why you yeah. have your phone, so you can ring her. That's exactly it. Not, exactly, yeah. not get charged a fortune for it. Listen, uh, Dave, we'll keep in contact uh, with you, but uh, in the meantime, thank you for that and, and look after yourself. And look, just as I'm on the air, I want to thank all our customers for all the support. They've been absolutely brilliant. Okay, well, well done to you for, for keeping the show on the road as well, and Claire. And, and thanks to yourselves as well for a great show. No problem. God bless. Good luck Mind yourself. Bye bye. Dave Scully there, uh, joining us from Scully's Butchers in Clan. And it's all those small little independent shops that we need to be supporting as well because they're the ones that will be there for for us as well as they're there for us now during the pandemic and they'll be there, uh, please God, long after as well. 1850-333-103. Lines are open. John Paul uh, taking your calls. I can see people commenting on normal people. Somebody says normal people is a great show get a life uh, Adrian Midcork says Patricia first off the bishop that you're quoting Michael Cox he's actually uh, he's described as um, 
Did I see it described as an Indian? Anyway, yeah, he's um, he's not a real bishop, says Adrian in Cork. He was self-appointed by his Tridentine Church. He's not in a position, but he's not in a position to dictate to us, or to RT, or indeed to anyone else. Second, if people don't like normal people, then please just don't watch it. Thirdly, none of us came into this world without two people having sex. Um, so says Adrian in mid Cork. Sandy says, "Hi, Patricia. There is an on-off button for people to use if they don't want to watch." normal people I use it for example for football if it's ex- it, it is explicit but so beautifully done and as you say totally consensual stay safe says uh, Sandy yeah I have to say the way I just think it's it, I just think it has been beautifully handled I knew when I was watching it there would be some people who would take offence uh, to it but I was hoping that the people who took offence just switch it over uh, Trish what, what I saw on that series normal people was two fairly disturbed unhappy low self-esteem young people in college how can their academic life compare with their instability in their private life no respect or morals anywhere in their lives says another uh, listener and someone else says Patricia might be worth explaining that Bishop Michael Cox who comes to the normal people is an independent bishop I knew I saw the word independence uh, somewhere not aligned to the to the Catholic Church or indeed to the Church of Ireland um, so Someone else says, Patricia, didn't another bishop or Cardinal Cole, Cole, I think his name was, that said he enjoyed watching the first episode of Normal People and wanted to know what was the sport in it, in it, which was Gaelic football. So he mustn't have been too upset over the sex scenes, uh, unlike the bishop you mentioned who wanted a band, if all he could be asking was what sport were they actually, pl- were they, were they actually playing. And actually, I think in the book itself, he, the uh, Conal, the young teenager it plays rugby I think it's not Gaelic football actually but for TV they turned it to Gaelic football someone says it's disgusting that's the girls in Mallow they didn't uh, like it Bishop uh, Cox not reading that out says somebody else somebody else says absolutely uh, enjoy normal people tell people to get over it and to get a life okay that's just some of the calls coming in but we mention it today because it's on tonight and it is going to be the longest ever sex scene with full frontal male nudity and you have been warned if you get offended by that don't watch normal people on RTE tonight. Find something else to watch. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Mallow College. Now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Fon Sawalcha. Let's see 103. How COVID needed on shutting Aaron, Agus Kamwitz, Fanox Awalia, Kunwitz Fane, Agus Akela, a cousin. And this is the plan that Kui came in at Anne Lahayantir, Oskol Derish. Because the Untuxal Ade, Dimi Beltana, Bezera Le Kupla Shrianta, a Vian Hanafane. Malta to Dolomon Akliok, the Tavamwe, and Nishta Kyadaga, Fanavotskuk, Kui Kilometer, Dimbalia, and Naiko Kilometer. Malta Shivak, Fanox Somalia, and Tomer Fad, no cocooning, Be Kyadaga, Dolomak, last year, then Kui Kilometer, Aktor Aragon, a real cuff with social distancing. Bigi Olivner. Vinshivit 
Due to COVID-19, cocooning is advised for all people over 70 years old. If a family member or friend is cocooning, here's some helpful advice. They should stay home and avoid face-to-face contact. Keep in touch by phone or online. Stay mobile by moving as much as possible. Go for a short walk while maintaining strict social distancing. Ask others to get shopping or medicine. Use the phone to contact their GP or other services. And remember, no visitors except for essential carers. It's time to stay at home. Stay home. This message is supported by Home Instead Senior Care. Their staff are fully equipped to ensure your loved one's safety in their own homes. See homeinstead.ie. For COVID-19 updates and information, stay listening to C103. Just a quick text that I think a lot of people would possibly agree with Tom on this. Says, Hi Patricia, I think the debate should be starting now as to how primary and perhaps even secondary schools plan to open in September if they open at all. The United Kingdom and in Germany, they're planning to finish school terms before July with only 15 students in a room all sitting separately and staggered lunch breaks. Are we prepared for this? Will we need to recruit more educational professionals from other areas? Classrooms are already tight with average size classes in Ireland of 30. I believe we may need to have more teachers in in this country if it's not too expensive or if it doesn't take too long. We need to be planning now. Uh, there'll be much more anxiety, a little bit like what we've just gone through with the Leaving Cert and the Leaving Cert anxiety isn't over, isn't over yet, but you are right. And I'm assuming that the powers that be are working on that and the primary and secondary schools are working flat out as to how they will reopen in September. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. Joe Heffernan joins me on this sunny afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. Did you get, have you been out for a walk yet? Not yet, Not no, yet. today. No. Um, uh, it's on the agenda for immediately after a bit of lunch. Okay, and you and I know last week you were quite upset that you're with the cocooning, that the, all you were allowed to do was go out for the walk, but you have another, is it the 8th of June you'll be able to go to the shops? 
Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's the, uh, yeah. Are you over that yet? Or are you still a bit? Um, let's just say that um, I had my own little way of getting over it. Okay, we will say no more. Well, a lot of people, I have to say, agreed with you last week, so it's, it's important yeah, to point that yeah. out. I've just been talking with Dave Scully in Clonakilty, who's having a problem with air and his air phone bill, but his biggest problem was trying to get through to air oh, yeah. to voice his complaint. Yeah. N- not something uncommon that, and something you know all about. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I had the, was it the 2017 or 18 record of four hours. Yeah. Um, I knew every tune um, uh, made by you two um, by the time I was finished listening to it. Yeah, um, no, not landline, but I'm currently working on my uh, mobile, my 086-834-8145. And... Having uh, spent uh, a session with um, a person uh, using that phone, um, you know, people just book a session the same as they would if they were coming in the door. And um, I followed that up with emails um, of, you know, relevant material. If something came up about parenting, I might send on the one about, um, you know, helping your child in the time of COVID-19. Or if resilience came up, I'd send on the one uh, on, uh, you know, resilience and that, um, which people found to be extremely handy because um, we would talk about it and then they'd have something in their hand having printed off the email. But... I was talking to, I'd nearly, well, I would always uh, check up um, uh, and, you know, did you get that email? Mm. And more and more I was hearing, no, I didn't, Joe. And, um, gee, I was, uh, you know, I'd send it again and I'd send it again. And then I got the impression that it was if the, uh, if the attachment was anywhere big that it wouldn't get there. And it was exasperating. So I had a different email address. Um, and I started to send them from there, even though it isn't as handy for me to do it. Um, the other one was a bit quicker, easier. But anyway, um, I rang uh, Air and I said that I had a problem, that uh, I was working with some frontline staff um, and that I was doing some uh, HSE work as well um, uh, with very vulnerable um, uh, clients. And um, I needed my emails to be working. So I actually got through in, it wasn't too bad, maybe 20, 25 minutes uh, talking to a person, which I was extremely pleased with. And uh, anyway, I was given a case reference number and told to send an email to a number, to an email address that I was given. Um, So I did, and... um, I got back, um, the, an auto replied that I would be contacted within two working days. And uh, I had given um, two dates and lots of hours, like 10 a.m. to 12 noon available, um, because there'd be no point in them contacting me if I was on the line to someone on an appointment. So anyway, um, oh... It just got really messy. Um, the phone call never came. The two days passed, three days, four days passed. And um, <clears throat> I was getting these auto replies when I sent one, you know, we will contact you within two days. 
sorry. You're, you're all right, yeah. And, right. Um, that, um, and there's, there's nothing worse if you're waiting on that phone call, you yeah. have all the information, you know exactly what you're going to say yeah. and then the call doesn't arrive. Yeah, and then eventually I got a daft email uh, telling me that uh, I had been asked, you see, to give three emails that I sent and that I said didn't deliver. And I got back one saying that the three I gave did deliver and they, they were now emailing me on the other address. So in other words, they were kind of saying, look, this works, but the aircom one doesn't. And this now on top of uh, the aircom.net people are being asked to pay, I think, five ninety nine extra yeah, uh, for keeping aircom.net keep. right, uh, yeah. email address. Yeah. So it's a bit daft. They're as good as saying, like, look, the other one is better. Yeah, it's, it's very frustrating. And you're still waiting and you still haven't got it sorted. No. Oh, no, for God's no, sake, no. for God's sake. Anyway, uh, yeah. press on regardless because it's yeah. it's just, it, it is annoying. Now, I'm very conscious that today is International Nurses Day and we've been mentioning nurses throughout the programme and thinking of nurses uh, today. Uh, many of our nurses, of course, are at the front line uh, during COVID-19. And I know we have a copy of your resilience on the front line. If anybody's looking for copies of it, uh, they can contact us and, and we'll send it on. But you just, just to, to pick one or two of them yeah. uh, about resilience. And this is for anybody working on the front line. I mean, it's not, it's not just uh, for nurses. What, what, what's one that springs to mind that's important? Well, first of all, um, this is from the International Critical Incident Stress Foundation, University of Maryland. I work, I, I don't know what you say, I work for them, but I'm an approved instructor there and I do a course in UCC on what they call critical incident stress management each year. So, they sent me on this, and uh, I've given it to some um, uh, frontline staff, um, hospital, um, nursing home, and the feedback has been that it was, um, you know, uh, extremely helpful. Now, anyone that wants it, as you say, it's there with you. It's also on the www.iacp.ie website. On the top left of that, there's a, you can click on COVID-19, and then there's a menu on the left, and the first one on it is frontline staff, and the second one on it is um, helping children to through the the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, period. And, it, and it talks about things, you know, a lot of it's common sense. Yeah. You know, I mean, getting adequate sleep and and rest. Yeah. Uh, and there's and, a few and, things that maybe wouldn't have been, you know, the usual about the the sleep and the diet and that. It is like to know your own personal signs of stress and to monitor yourself. Um, and know when you need to take a step back, when you need to take action to reduce stress. Um, and to be careful, for example, another one, of your own expectations of yourself. Remember that you are human. People in this line of work will give and give and give and, um, you know... To um, the point of burnout. W- wonderful people, yes, yes. And and that's the thing, to remember that you're human and be careful of your own expectations of yourself. So therefore, to pace yourself, take breaks when a break is available. So that when you come back from a little break, cup of coffee, whatever, you know, you're going to function um, um, at your best. Um, whereas if you just keep driving on, which is a temptation for people who are extremely committed to their work. Well, then, um, you know, it's better to actually take the break. And um, I, I suppose, like all of us, to limit exposure to media coverage when off shift 
Um, now, it's only natural for a person working on the front line to be wondering what's the up-to-date, what's the up-to-date. But at the same time, um, you know, um, if you've been on that front line all day long, I suppose, in a way, an old film or something um, would be a lot more uh, beneficial um, rather than more and more... Um, uh, information about the uh, the pandemic. Yeah, it's the one I'm constantly telling people and I try to do it myself to try to limit the media exposure. You can just get overwhelmed yeah. with so much stuff. Okay, I'm up against it on the clock. We'll talk next week. Hope air gets through to you and you get that sorted. As yeah. always, a pleasure. You mind yourself. And uh, people can contact uh, Joe on his mobile. That's the number he's using now is 86 That's where I leave you for today. Thank Thanks to John Paul and Sadie for taking your calls. We're back with you tomorrow morning at 10 onto the 9 Patricia Messenger. Stay safe. Court today on C103. With Mallow College. Now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.